So we've been, um, from the beginning of January, we started reading the scriptures together, and we have launched this exercise, this project called Restore 2022. And we are reading different books of the Bible, and uh, there is a daily input. Um, and again, like tonight, there is a, an evening where we want to go deeper in some of the things that we've um, come up with, uh, with uh, our reading and stuff. And um, some books of the Bible are straightforward. Those are the books that we've been reading for a long time. And some of the books are not that popular and they're not straightforward. And um, one of my daughters uh, this week told me, do we really have to read Leviticus? And, and, and how is this relevant to us? And when we come to scriptures, we come to the whole counsel of God. We know that God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. And again, as I said, some books are very straightforward. Some books are more complex. And in our reading today, or this week, we've been going through the book of Leviticus, which actually, it's a handbook of rules and regulations about the order of worshipping God. So if we remember that if we read through Genesis, we experience how God was a creator God who loved what he created and how people let him down. And yet he was persistent in reaching out to them. So he was a creator, a loving God, and yet we saw how awful people could behave, although they were, they were supposed to be a reflection of who God was. That hasn't changed a lot, has it? I think with what's going on in the world, I'm so pleased that we read Genesis because it shows how far and how deprived the human heart is and how much we need God. So, but God, through Genesis, showed that he, he loved his people. And then we read Exodus, and we've been reading some of the Gospels, uh, stories, and now we are in Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is part of the first five books of the Bible, and it's bang on in the middle. It's the third book. It stands there in the middle, and actually, it's wanting to convey the message to this people that has been set apart for God, that God is holy. Now, it's Interesting how we are, by default, going towards the characteristics of God that are easier to comprehend, and they sound more comforting, and they're more appealing. So there is nothing wrong with us saying that God is love. 
He's the creator God. But we need to also realize that what's happening in the book of Leviticus is that God is moved in to dwell. His presence is among the people. And the, the, the starting point of the book of Leviticus is when God is arrived in the tabernacle in Exodus from 34 to 40. That's what's happening there. So God is dwelling with his people. And the book of Leviticus is a help to understand that how do we, how does a group of people behave? How do they react when they have got God Almighty, the creator of the universe, dwelling amongst them? So, is the book of Leviticus anything, has the book of Leviticus got anything to do with us as New Testament, post uh, Christ's death and resurrection? Yes and no. No in the sense that the sacrificial system that is part of what we see in the book of Leviticus has come to an end with the arrival of the Son of God, with Jesus Christ. And yes, with the idea that actually there is some principles that we can draw from the sacrificial system by which they're very helpful in the way that we have fellowship and in the way that we relate to God. Because actually, if God's word says that he is worthy to receive the honor, the glory, and the power, and he is a holy God, the holiness of God has not changed with the arrival of Jesus. He still has remained a good, creating, and holy God. And we still can draw principles of how we can shape our lives as we worship. One of the commentators uh, said this, life that is not shaped by the worship of God becomes futile. And worship that does not shape the quality of life is irrelevant ritual. The very structure of the middle three books of the Pentateuch is a powerful statement of this reality. Life that is not shaped by the worship of God becomes futile. And worship that does not shape the quality of life is just irrelevant ritual. So, what the book of Leviticus helps us with is that having fellowship with God, relating to God, having God dwell in the middle, in the midst of his people, it's a serious matter. God is not your jogging friend. He's not your coffee mate. 
He's God Almighty. Yes, he is a friend in the sense that he has come from his almighty power and he's come to us and he has befriended us. But there is that sense of awe and power and might and magnificence that I think as the Western world, we take it too lightly sometimes. So what the sacrificial system or the, what, what the author of Leviticus is trying to say to us, and it's still relevant, is that how can we draw principles today that would help us in the way that we worship, in the way that we relate, in the way that we walk? Because actually, we've got it much, much better than the, the people of Israel God indwells us. He lives within us. He is here. When God's people gather together, we gather in Jesus' name. He is here. That's, that's an amazing privilege and honor, but also it's a great responsibility. So how we prepare to meet and to, to, to experience that indwelling of God is very important. So what we're going to do today is that I'm going to focus on the first seven chapters and for the next um, 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to walk you through some of the uh, practices of those sacrifices and draw some of the principles that might help us to understand how we worship God and how we relate to him. Remember, he is worthy to receive all honor, power, and glory. So, as I said, it's the book of Leviticus is a manual. It's a handbook about worship. It's about this public worship of God's people in the first half until we reach the, the climax of the book of Leviticus, which is Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. That's what we're going to do on Good Friday. And then the other half is the, the private worship. What, what does it, you know, if God is, is, is dwelling amongst us, it should have an impact in the way that we meet together and we declare his power publicly but also in the way that we journey and walk our own lives. So the first sacrifice that we see here, that again, is, is nothing to do with a New Testament believer because it's all fulfilled in Jesus. But there is elements there that we can, we can take from. So the first sacrifice we find in chapter 1 of Leviticus. And it's the sacrifice, as you see, of the burnt offering. So um, we, we're given an outline here, and it's not to the detail, but actually it was a burnt, um, killed animal. And actually it's, it shows that Worshipping God is a costly matter. And the, 
the beauty of this offering is that it's not exclusive. For those who cannot offer and are not in a financial position to offer a bull or a goat, there are other smaller things that they can afford. Even the poorest can afford just a bowl of flour to bring, just to, to remind that this, this is a costly thing. It should cost. It should bring people to that appreciation of actually what God has done. I remember when we used to have uh, children camps in Albania, there was an element that uh, there was a, a lot of children who could not afford to pay for the full uh, amount of money. And we used to raise uh, funds um, in the UK and in Northern Ireland. And uh, the, the, the way that God provided for us was amazing because we were able to break even with every camp. But for all our campers, we would say they have to pay. They have to pay something. Because then they value it and they appreciate it. And we would have parents who would come to us and they would say, oh, we can't afford it. We, we haven't got the money. And sometimes we would let go of that. And those were the children who wasted the most amount of money that week of camp. Those were the kids that did not, did not cost them anything to come there. And they wasted the money. And those who really paid even a little bit of a month of money, they appreciated the fact that they were part of this and they shared that ownership. And this is the, the idea here of the burnt offering. But actually, it's a serious matter. Sin is serious. Sin separates and, and takes you away from God, but it's a serious matter and it needs addressing. It's costly. Now, there is reference in the New Testament in the sense of slight reference to the burnt offering, but the concept of the burnt offering is crucial to our understanding of Jesus' death on the cross. Only in Mark chapter 12 and in Hebrews chapter 10, we have specific references to the burnt offering. And Actually, both of them are quotes from the Old Testament that actually it's, it's the importance of living out the will of God. And that's what Jesus did. So the commitment, the, the burnt offering shows the commitment and the costliness of, of, of this sacrifice. Then we move on to chapter 2. And it's the grain offering. And if you read chapter 2 this week with us, there are three items there, apart from the, the grain and the cereal and stuff, there are three items that kind of are part of this ritual. It's the leaven, it's the honey, and they are both kind of affiliated with corruption because they were used to ferment and they were used to... to, 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 to uh, have a chemical reaction. And then you had the salt, which was used for flavor, for saving. And 
The grain offering is what I would call, or and what I've read about this, is that actually it's this offering of fulfillment. Unlike the animal sacrifice, the grain offering represented a product of the worshippers' endeavor. Yes, God was the God who provides the harvest, everything. It was the worshipper who planted and cultivated and harvested and did everything. But actually, this was the moment where this person who, who offers is, is concentrating the fruit of their labor to God. How does this relate to us? I'm not expecting you to come with cereals next week here and we start a fire in the back car park. But what is the principle? Well, we live in a world that has got emphasis upon private wealth, property. And it's very easy for us to forget that the works of our hand belong to God. And for those of us who, who make actually um, our living, well, we are in a greater danger because some of our work is not with our hands, but is with our minds. And it's very easy to fall into self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction. And we can be fooled to say that everything that we have belongs to us. But maybe the reminder of this grain offering is a reminder that each day we recognize that everything that we have and we are belongs to God. Even if we do grow in this grace, we must avoid the pitfall of ever believing that God has chosen us as special recipients of this material abundance. Actually, we will not have then room for the poor because we'll consider them as uncared and neglected by God. So, this offering, this cereal, this, this offering of um, the grain is an offering of fulfillment. That we are fulfilled in God. Everything that we have and we are belongs to God. Then the third offering is the offering in chapter 3 of thanksgiving. They call it the fellowship. They call it the share. They call it the peace offering. It's a voluntary. It's spontaneous celebration of God's goodness. Again, the, the, the worshiper comes and he lays the hand on the cow or the bull to be sacrificed. And again, the meaning here of this symbol is never articulated. 
But actually, it's this act of identifying. Imagine that the whole sacrificial system was quite visual, quite sensory. It was quite an amazing experience because it was not done in the way that we think on individual basis. You're there in the presence of other people. It was quite an experience, sensory, visual, helpful. The animal was killed by the worshiper. The priest sprinkled the blood on the sides of the altar. I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament priest. Then the animal was cut up. I mean, butcher. But, as the book of Hebrews says, there is no need for such sacrifice because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But this is an opportunity for us to think, but what is it something that we can draw here? And I think it's, With this kind of offering, it's this attitude of thankfulness to go in a due depth with our relationship and service to God. Not just when you feel like praising him, but also sharing that with others. So this kind of offering, the third one in chapter 3, is an offering that you share your gratitude, you share your thankfulness, this abundance that you have experienced, and you share it with others. And then the fourth one is the purification offering. This is the sanctification, the the consecration. This is actually... um, This is the sin offering for the congregation, then the sin offering for the tribal leader, the sin offering for individual members, the sin offering for specific sins. Again, that awareness that God Almighty, the creator, the loving God, is dwelling amongst the people. And the way that we approach and we fellowship and the way that we relate to him is with respect is with due honor. It's serious. So it's this sense of God's dwelling, the sense of worship. It's that public confession of our sin. We're saying that actually only you, God, can sort us out. And again, First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and get rid of all our transgressions. So, it's not about being casual about God's presence and, and what he means with being loved and holy in the same time. It's about being relevant to this reality and also approaching him because there is a confidence here that God can deal with the shortcomings of humanity. I mean, this is the assurance of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. 
when, when other nations and other people were sacrificing stuff and they didn't know whether they were appeasing, they were not sure. Here, there is a system that is bringing that assurance that if you approach God in the way that he has required, there is an element there that actually there is assurance. It's different. It's different. And then in chapter 6, we've got the guilt offering. And this section consists of three paragraphs. Sin against holy things, sin against God's commandments, and sin against the neighbor. Now, again, sin against holy places may not be a concern for us. But also, we need to be aware that chapter 6 is full of stuff of how we sin against other people. Those sins of omission, those sins that we do without realizing, and the sins that we do with realizing. But again, even here, the grace of God shines forth. There is an offering for this sin by which forgiveness may be received. To us, we are familiar that the rich meaning of sacrifice of Jesus on the cross Grace is all the more a source of overwhelming wonder and gratitude. So, this sacrificial system causes us to think and to draw principles that actually, as Christians, as as people who believe in Christ, we've got this amazing responsibility and privilege to to experience Christ in our lives. So so we are not being casual about the seriousness of sins, but also we realize that actually there is absolute confidence in God's gracious forgiveness. That's why we're going to do what we're going to do soon. There is absolute confidence that Christ has died once and for all. And one last thing about these seven chapters is that there is this ongoing fire. The constant fire that actually reminds us of our life in Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard, um, a Scandinavian theologian, used the theater as an analogy in regards to worship. Too often, we regard the preacher and the worship band as a performance with the congregation as an audience. In reality, the preacher and the, the bands and the worship leader are to be regarded as prompters and the congregation as actors and God as the audience. I'm convinced that there will come genuine renewal in worship of any congregation that be- th- begins to think as worship of worship as our performance before God's. To come in the house of the Lord 
on the Lord's Day to bring our, to God our praise, our worship, our adoration, our full commitment, our very best, our gratitude must be the basis for all of our living, our being, and our doing. And may God bless us through his spirit that we continue to worship him in spirit and in truth as it's due to his name. Amen.